6. Last Sunday, I began the series, which I'll, I'll not go into all the introduction I did last week, but a uh, series which I actually started in uh, December of 2020, stepped back out of that series, and uh, have begun it again. Uh, not a repeat of things. I chose last week to use the same exact title that I used as the first message on the series before, but the message was not by any means identical and everything freshly studied. The Lord has taken me in a little different direction. I think uh, we're benefited, I am, and you will be, by the three years or almost three years, 34 months or so, that have, that have uh, transpired between when this first caught my attention and now able to bring it to fruition. The series is entitled A Slave Nation. And uh, tonight I want to speak to you about a slave nation, the identity of freedom. The identity of freedom. Uh, Last Sunday we did the first message of the series, and that one was entitled The Mindset of Slavery. Let me encourage you, if you did not get to hear that, that you use one of the ways, either through the podcast or YouTube, to, uh, to hear that. It'll help you for all the messages coming up. It was very much a foundational message. Uh, we found out last week that the very real and bitter bondage that the Israelites had being prisoners, being slaves, 400 years worth of it, that uh, bondage actually was not nearly as condemning to them as the fact that they actually became bound in their minds and hearts. And they took on the mindset of slavery. Say, so why would that be more condemning? Well, because once God had removed them geographically from Egypt, and God annihilated the Egyptian army, it was no longer possible. It was, it was not possible for Pharaoh to take them into bondage again. If, if they had gone through the Red Sea and yet Pharaoh's army stayed intact, it would have still been a threat to them because the Egyptian army was known for its expeditionary capacities. In other words, expeditionary force is a force that is sent out from a nation to exert their will upon another nation, whether it be for conquest or you know, change of change of leadership, whatever they're doing. And he could have come around the end of the Red Sea and caught them, actually. But God annihilated that army in the Red Sea. That's one reason there was such rejoicing over the fact that when uh, the uh, it's sometimes called the Song of Miriam, it's uh, it was the uh, uh, the fact that God triumphed over the horse and rider and threw them into the sea because get this, it's, it's super important that God had arranged things to where Pharaoh could not bring them into slavery again. It was not possible. It therefore is the perfect picture of our salvation. Having been truly saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we cannot be brought under the, uh, the authority and under the rightful authority of Satan again, or, or of condemnation. And so, they came out. But, but, and here's the problem, they kept going back to Egypt in their hearts, and in their minds. And even when they got to the promised land, a little over 40 years ensuing between the time of departing Egypt and the time again in the promised land, even when they got in the promised land, and for decades and generations after they got in the promised land, they were once and again brought back into bondage from things that had become part of them while they were slaves. And, um, and so tonight, I want to talk to you about the identity of freedom. I gave you four key statements during last week's message that I bring to your mind tonight. Here they are. Please, please get them. Please, please uh, get them inside of you. Number one, God does not want His people to be slaves. Um, he just doesn't want it. The command, and we'll go over this, but the command that 
God gave through Moses to give to Pharaoh. He sent him in. Many of you will know it. God said, speak unto Pharaoh, say, I am the Lord God. Let my people go. And so that was always the case. He, uh, God doesn't want His people to be slaves. So it's important to understand that. Come on through, Brother Robin. There's a good-looking girl sitting over here waiting for you, all right? There we go. Found her. Here he comes. Go Browns. Go Browns. There's one of those wandering in the wilderness even now. Yeah. Brother. Which high school team is that, he says. I love it. No, not not a not a triple A high school. Um, God does not want his people to be slaves. Number two, a free man can be forced into bondage, but he can never be truly made a slave while freedom still lives in his mind and soul. You could be overcome by somebody physically, and they could force you into bondage, but he can never be truly made a slave. While well, he has freedom in his mind and his soul. Then I said, slaves and free men do not think the same. They simply do not. And then fourth one, the difference between a free man and a slave is one word. That word is truth. That is a t- distinguishing difference. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And of course, that's the following, the obedience to that truth, we're knowing it. And so anyway, if I were to enumerate the steps out of slavery and, and what's happened, I was talking to my wife on the way in about what's happening in this study. It's been pretty interesting to me. As I look at the biblical pattern of, of showing this uh, thing of uh, slave nation and, and for us learning from what happened with the Israelites, and as I began looking I just kind of I, I reworked things. I went back again and started again, looking at how God laid this out in the Bible and following that pattern. Um, the steps out of slavery, the first one would be a clarification of identity. I, I, I would feel very safe in saying if biblically, first step out of slavery is a clarification of identity. Um, Last week, I mentioned Frederick Douglass and some very interesting writings. Some of you perhaps have read the biography of Frederick Douglass and his own writings. There's three different ones of those. They were all written by him, but were written at different times of his life and each volume being a little longer. Uh, the last one's the most interesting uh, in the sense that it covers a much more full scope of time. The first one may be written with the most passion. But anyway, they're, they're all, good, all good reads. And Frederick Douglass, the thing that burned inside of him was he would say, I am a man. And God has created me. He was free. He identified. He was not an animal. He was not a piece of property. He was not someone's chattel. As some of the states had passed laws declaring that the slaves were chattel. What's chattel? Property that may be disposed of at the owner's discretion in any way you want. It's tragic. It's also not unique, unfortunately. It's also not isolated to any particular race against another. It's happened with all races, one to another. But in our country, we know the history of some of it. And so what happened to clarifying your identity is that step, I believe, first step for understanding freedom. And I called tonight's message the identity of freedom. What's the identity of being a free person? Um, For anyone to stop being a slave and become a free man or a free person, he has to understand and accept the identity of freedom. He said, well, anybody would do that. It's an easy thought if we've, for those of us who've always been free. 
you not have to do a lot of deep history diving to understand in our own country, and I will use illustration of our country, and I will still stick mainly with what happened with Israel. But um, when the Emancipation Proclamation was given forth in our country, of course, there was a political reason behind that happening. I'm not saying it wasn't a good thing to happen. I'm not even saying that President Lincoln was not moving in his private life from everything I can study on him to a point where that was a very, very strong point with him. Although his first priority stated at beginning and throughout the war and to the end was the preservation of the Union. But at first, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't really affect anything. Because the states that were obeying the president following the federal government were not slave states. And the slave states were at war with the one who just gave this emancipation proclamation. And they're like, well, who are you anyway? We're not listening to you. But what it did do, and it was an astute move, was kept some of the foreign powers from investing in. They could not openly invest in the South and, and arm them and such. And it was a good move. It also... it, it, it uh, it gave, a, uh, it gave a focus to some of the things going on. But here's, here's the point. After real emancipation came, after the war was done, after slavery was officially abolished, although, of course, tentacles of it held on for a very long time to different degrees in different states. But once it was abolished, there were people who were slaves who were very fearful of being free. For generations, that's all they'd known. The only security they understood was where they were. And even though it was not a way of living that anyone would just choose and say, oh, that's, a, that's the way I want to live, they didn't, they were fearful to go forward. They didn't know what to do next. They had freedom, but didn't know what to do with the freedom. That's a shame. And way too often, when God's people are set free by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they don't know what to do with the freedom. And a lot of times people go back to old habits that they willingly admit, I've heard it in my own ears this very week, and speaking to someone I care about, that I'm concerned for them growing in grace. And I've heard in my ears this week what I've heard often down through the years of pastoring. And it's this. I, 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 I'm serious and I do want to serve God. I don't know what to do. I'm trying to get it figured out. And they would, they would, they would go back to their previous wrong and bad habits because that's familiar ground to them. I had a friend named George Ranft, R-A-N-F-T. Brother Ranft, for a good while, worked with the RU Home. Some of you are familiar with that ministry, Reformers Unanimous. And he worked with RU Homes up in Hammond, Indiana. They had an in-house unit where they had housing. People would come and stay and that sort of thing. But I knew George when he and I used to go soul winning together. He said, well, there's nothing unusual about that. No, nothing unusual about soul winning. We went door knocking together. Some preachers, nothing unusual about going door knocking. We went door knocking on semi doors at truck stops of America. <laughs> that is unusual. And uh, someone had the horn going right there. I heard it. Um, well, the trucker's coming through. But it, uh, it was not unusual from that, what they called the truck stop ministry, to have a good number of truck drivers in church at First Baptist Hammond on any given Sunday morning and they get saved. They'd come, make profession of faith, get baptized. When they were driving back through Chicago, they'd stop and come there. We got to we got to see folks like that. But George, he was uh, he was in motorcycle gang. He's a little short guy. George about that big, kinda of stocky, but a little short guy. And uh, boy spunky. And uh, you remember his wife when he came to college and they just came straight in out biker biker group. And uh, he was talking to me one time and he said, yeah, you got to understand how I came up. 
And I said, how was it? He says, I used to get thrown in jail regular. I said, just... Why? Well, he said, no, I meant to. He said, I'd get on the outside. And he said, I didn't have anywhere to go. If I take care of me and stuff. He says, our word for jail was three squares and a cot. Food. Shelter. And he says, that's where my friends were. <laughs> he wasn't joking about it. He says, so I'd get out and try to make it. And when I couldn't make it, he said, I'd go bust a window in a jewelry store, do something, I'd, you know, steal anything, just do something to get me in. I didn't want to go in for years, but, you know, he says, we'd wait till weather turned cold. We couldn't ride our motorcycles. We'd all go get arrested for something. Strange, isn't it? But that's why he knew. And he, by the way, in that conversation, he was talking about what difference the Lord made and how he could go and he became very successful at some things. And um, why? Because there's an identity as a slave. Yeah, George's identity was, I'm just a, I'm a juvie. I'm a, I'm a teenage delinquent. I'm a early 20s delinquent. I'm a biker. That's what I am. One day his identity changed. And when his identity changed, he changed. And so it's pretty amazing stuff. For anyone to stop being a slave and become a free man, he has to understand and accept the identity of freedom. Let me show you this. This is an amazing passage. I had never noticed it before. Perhaps you have. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And just fascinated me because this is what God is continually doing as He brings people to Himself with the Gospel. And from the midst of a crooked and perverse nation seeks a people to be peculiar to himself. But it, it showed up in the Old Testament. And these things were written for our learning, the Bible says. And so I want us to see it and keep it in context with that. But Deuteronomy 4, look in verse 32. Down in this passage, God's basically in the way the wording is, He's telling them to hearken back and remember some things. And basically, He's telling Israel, you need to look at your history and see if there's ever been another nation that I dealt with this way. So he'll say, ask for. And that's that's the, the context for him saying that terminology. So look in verse 32. It says, For ask now of the days that are past, which were before thee, since the day that God created man upon the earth, and ask from one side of heaven unto the other whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been heard like it. So God says, check east to west, check north to south, check the history of the world, and see if there's been anything like this. Look, look what it is. Did ever people hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as thou hast heard and live? Watch the next one. Or hath God essayed to go and take him a nation from the midst of another nation? By temptations, by signs, and by wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm, and by great terrors, according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? He said, check the history of the world and see if there's ever been another nation taken out of the midst of a nation. Although there's been nations that have divided, there's been people groups that have come out from other people groups and then have slowly developed. But Israel came forth as a full-blown nation. And while they were not at their maturity, and the, even the administrative structure had to be put in place by the Lord, it was a nation that was birthed in the day. It's happened twice in their history. Of course, the most profound one being here in, in this, this incident and, and these events that happened in Exodus. Now, wait a minute. We're finding out about the slave nation. We're finding out about the identity of freedom. Here's the identity of freedom. God went to Egypt. You have these millions of people. And God says within those millions of people are my people. And I am going to take my people out of those people. 
I'm going to separate my people from them. I'm going to teach them a different way of living. I'm going to teach them a different way of worship. I'm going to teach them a different way of conducting themselves. I'm going to give them a different set of laws. And they're going to be my people. In fact, they already are my people. But they're going to be identified as such. You know, that's exactly what God does when someone truly accepts the Lord. He's taking you out of the midst of everything around you and bringing you to Himself. That's, that's why carnal Christians, I like the ones talked about in the book of Corinthians. That's why fleshly Christians, that's why worldly Christians love this world. That's why they have this constant tension in them. Why? Because they are fighting against what God is doing in their life. They're just like the Israelites were when time and again they said, we want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. We want to go back to Egypt. Did you ever read anywhere in your Bible where they said we want to go back to Egypt where the taskmasters can beat us with their whips? You ever read them saying about that? I don't ever recall them saying that. Did you ever read them saying, oh, we want to go back to Egypt uh, so that we can go back and we're going to be slaves, our children will be slaves, there's no room for advancement, it doesn't matter what you do, you can't get ahead. you ever hear them talking like that? they ever say that? you ever hear them say we want to go back to Egypt so we can be under bitter, hard bondage that is so hard that it's a groaning that reaches to heaven? you ever hear them say that? We just want to be under that kind of bondage again? Did they ever say that? What do they always say? We miss our melons and our leeks and our onions. We miss our flesh pots. That's their term. We had it better then. We didn't have to trust God. We didn't have to use our brains and figure things out. We just did what we were told. Did what we were told. Government took care of us. Just did what we were told. Don't y'all get too far out of line or they cut off your supply. Just do what you're told. Government will take care of you. There's an identity to to slavery and there's an identity to being free. Look at our text in Exodus chapter 6 and look at the language in there. It's pretty amazing, really. Look at verse 6. Wherefore I say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. Look at the, the terminology. I will bring you out. Look at that preposition there. I'm sorry, I need time to get back to it. Exodus 6. And we're in verse 6. And I will bring you out. Look at the preposition. From under. From under the burdens of the Egyptians. Wait, 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 wait. You know, we are instructed in the New Testament that every man is to bear his own burden. Did you know that? We're also supposed to look to try and help bear burdens for others, but we're supposed to bear our own burden. We're never supposed to have the mindset thinking somebody else is supposed to carry ours. That's Amen. The, the old preacher said, Amen becomes that. Amen. Uh, that that's, that's right there. But do you know that it says that they were under the burdens of the Egyptians? I'll get into this at some point when we go into some financial things of the wasted energy, or actually the energy which was exploited for someone else's gain, of the, uh, uh, of the uh, Israelites when they were slaves. But, but do you understand... The Bible says specifically that they built the treasure cities of Ramses. So those cities of great splendor and world renown were built on the backs of the Israelites as slaves. Interesting. So the mindset of a slave is under the burden that somebody else's burden that you're not being benefited from. And then look at verse 6 again. And I will rid you out of their bondage. I'm going to get you out from under their burdens and I'm going to rid you out of their bondage. I'm going to take you where they can no longer hold you. 
Verse 7, and I will take you to me. He said, I'm going to get you out from under their burden. I'll get you out of their bondage. And I'm bringing you to me. This morning as I preached to you uh, what the son taught us and what we were taught by the son, I, I, I told you that one of the things is that God wants us to be with him. First point was God is with us. What did, he, what did the son teach us? What he, ta- he taught us that he wants to be with us. And then what's that other part? That he wants us to be with him. That's what God said at the beginning. He said, I'm going to get you out from... You're, you're, hey, you like the dog? You are. You, you like a beast of burden? You're under this bondage. I'm going to get you out from under that bondage. I'm going to get you out of front of that burden. I'm going to get you out of bondage and I'm going to bring you to me. He said, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring you to me. By the way, it was God's design that before they got to the promised land, they went to a place called Horeb. He said, what's that? That's where they received the law. That's where God met with them. And so before God was going to bring them to the promised land, before in God's perfect line of coming across, before they got to the promised land, they are going to meet with God. They were going to hear from heaven. God was going to establish that relationship before they went into the promised land. And so what happened is, God said, I'm bringing out. But that, that's not all that's in there. Look at this. In verse 7, I will take you to me for a people. I will be to you a God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he says, not only am I your God, but you'll know me and you'll know who I am. Which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So here he says it again. I want to bring you out from under something. Listen to me. With the identity of, of freedom, you have to understand it's an identity that says you're out from under the burden. You got somebody sleeping there and you try to get them away. They need what I'm saying. It's church time. This is important. This is vital. It is, it is a burden time. It is, it, it, it is, it is that burdens will be taken off. Then he says, they're going to come to me. But then, I love it. Look at the end of verse 8. And I will bring you in, un, in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And I will give it you for a what, church? So what they had was a burden. What they had was bondage. What God wanted to give them was a heritage. That's interesting. They didn't build any of those cities they were going to go into in the promised land. They built them. That first year they went in, they didn't plant any of those crops. God gave it to them as a heritage. What do I mean? He said, here, this is for me to you. I'll let these heathens get this built and I'm giving it to you. Amen. The Bible says that the uh, wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Amen. If I may quote our former assistant pastor, Brother Darren, one of his favorite verses in life was spoil the Egyptians. Amen. <laughs> there was a whole mindset approach behind that. <laughs> Then, this blew my mind. God wants to give them a heritage instead of bondage. I'd much, I'd much rather have a heritage than bondage. But look in Exodus chapter 8. This is really cool. And I'm going to tell you something now. I've not got completely settled in my mind. In other words, a lot of different ways you have to check to, to make a super declarative statement on this. So I'm going to tell you what I've got to so far with it with some careful study. I can't find, if you do, that's fine. I wouldn't mind knowing about it. I can't find where Pharaoh referred to the Israelites as my people. He referred to them as the people. He referred to them as Israel. In fact, he still referred to them as Israel. And again, I'm willing to 
recant on this. Some of you show me something on it, and that's not a challenge to you. I'm just telling you, there's so many different ways it could be worded and phrased. You can't just do a quick search by any means to try to find it for sure. But I can't find anywhere where that terminology was used by Pharaoh towards Israel, say, calling them my people, the people, called them Israel, the children of Israel. He used this type of terminology, everything I can find. But, but here's the point with it. It seems as if, as near as I can tell, seems as if that Pharaoh was conscious of the fact that he didn't have any rightful authority over those people. He knew he had them captive. Who is the Lord that I should listen to him? I will not let Israel go. That was his type of language. But he never said, these are my rightful people. I can't find it if he did. And I'll, I'll, I'll stand corrected or set corrected, whichever you prefer, if, if, if it does show up in there. So let me, let me show you something that fits into what I was finding on it. In fact, when I, st- I, was, I was actually looking for the places where Pharaoh said, these are my people. Brother Wes. Brother Wes. Hi, babe. How you doing? Were you praying for me right then so I could preach? All right. Exodus 8. Look in verse 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from whose people? My people. And I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. He differentiated in his language. Take the frogs. It sounds like a country song getting ready to go. Take the frogs away from me. They don't make me happy anymore. Anyway, then he said, take the frogs away from my people and I will let the people go. You know the devil knows that you are not rightfully his. Do you know that once you're saved, he can no longer take you to hell? At that point, the main objectives is no longer you, it's your influence. It's important to know the tactics of those who are coming at you. Now God said that He wanted a peculiar people. I've been in churches long enough to know that He's got some. That's a joke. Okay, it's not a joke. That's what's so funny about it. Exodus 19. The word peculiar is set aside. They're unusual. They don't fit in. I remember as a kid, I used to wonder about a sign up in Gratis, Ohio. Up on top, it was up along the uh, top area of the building, up above the uh, keystone of where the center windows were. And it said Oddfellows. I mean, have you ever seen an Oddfellows place in it? The first time I saw that, I wondered what we had in town. I was young and I thought, odd? <laughs> in what manner are they odd? Yeah? I didn't know what it was. I knew where the Masons were. I knew what the Eagles were. Fraternity of Drunkenness. And I, I knew the Lions Club did. And I knew that they specialized in, uh, especially glasses and stuff, tried to help. I knew Shriners, which is a subdivision of the Masons, that they worked with some children's hospitals and things. You know, this of I'm just an unsafe kid. Just, I think my people from Eastern Kentucky, in sections of Eastern Kentucky, it's equivalent. Yeah, he's a good Christian. He's a Mason. And the Masonic teaching are anti-Christian. It's an occult group. It has nothing to do with biblical Christianity. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember seeing that, and I thought, what is that? Later on, I found out it was a fraternity, a group of odd fellows. And I'm thinking, I don't think I want to join that. What's that? Well, actually, the name really wasn't a bad thing because the origination, it's a philanthropic society. In other words, they tried to do good things for people. That's why it was founded. 
and they derived that name Odd Fellows, um, that they were different than the average person. They were seeking to be different from someone who would be greedy, avaricious, who would take care of or take advantage rather of others. And they were wanting to be odd in the sense of being people who were known for good works. Trying to help people. So that was the origin of the thing, as far as I understand it. Oh, well, that's not bad. Well, we hear the word peculiar, and you say to somebody, especially somebody's not biblically conversant, God wants you to be peculiar, and they're going, Well, now that's what I'm signing up for. And they may say, as I made a very lame joke about at the beginning of this part of the message, um, they may say, I've been to some churches, there's a lot of very peculiar people in, in them. But the word peculiar is in the sense of a. Uh, a, of a particular value. It's of a distinct and particular value to someone. And we've just about morphed the word to where it always almost has a negative connotation. Someone fixed something to eat and you'd never eaten anything quite that good before, you really liked it, you wouldn't look at them and say, the taste of this is really peculiar. It just would not be taken as complimentary. But in context of what we're reading, peculiar is complimentary. It means you've been particularly chosen to be of great value. Peculiar to him. And by the way, it is peculiar in the sense it doesn't match what's going on. It operates with a different motive, of a different energy. It's got a different set of values. In that case, it is peculiar. I remember seeing a little, it was like a documentary thing. And I thought it was so great because this Christian couple really articulated things well. Um, they were being interviewed and apparently for this show, I forget what it was, it was some type of a, it wasn't like 60 minutes, but it was that type of a format. And, and whoever was running the show was just blown away. And, and this has been a lot of years ago. This wouldn't seem as strange now. These people homeschooled their kids. They went to church three times a week. They attended revival meetings. They lived what we would know as just a Christian life, trying to do right. They made some choices that for education, as other Christians may or may not make, but they had chosen to do that. We wouldn't think it's strange. Yeah, a church like this, Bible-believing church, we have, we have parents who make what is the parental right to make, choice, of all types of different education is embarked on. So we don't think anything strange about it. Somebody comes in and says, hey, kids are going to school over here. Oh, hey, man, pray for them. How are they doing? Somebody says they're going over here. Fine. We're, we're, we're homeschooling. We don't, oh, what kind of weirdo are you? You know? Uh, Miss Shelton, when you all started and you were educating your kids, you were just total freaks. Wherever you went, weren't you? You were, really. I, I mean, you were. Because even, even in the Christian community, what? you're a what, a who? You know? So when in yesterday, and one fellow said to me about some young person he'd known, and he said, he said they, were, they were homeschooled, said they did a great job. And didn't think about it. But this news, you come back a good ways, really thought this was weird. And so they're trying to corner this couple. And I loved it because the couple were, they were, you could tell the countenance, they were very upbeat. They weren't threatened by this, this uh, reporter. The reporter says, well, what would you say to the fact? Some people say, your child is very neglected. They never went to a school dance. They don't go to parties. They don't know who the latest stars are on TV. This is, okay, all of those TVs were where that was happening. And... The fellow just spot and says, well, all I would say to him is, and they said, wouldn't you say your child's missed out on much and you're actually damaging them? And he said, no, I'd ask him, has your child ever been to a church supper? Do they know what a revival's like? Have they ever learned to make their own toys at home? And he just went through a whole list. He'd say, I'd say your child's deprived. <laughs> I love that. Because he wasn't threatened. Wasn't mean. He just said, you know, you say, no, nah, you're missing out over here. Really? What are you missing out on over here? Because it's a matter of what you value. And so we're peculiar. We're peculiar because it matters to us as believers what does God's Word say about something. 
what does God's Word direct us into? He's made us to be peculiar. Let me give you these few verses and then we'll be down here. Exodus 19, verse 5. Now therefore, if you will obey My voice indeed and keep My covenant, then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto Me above all people. For all the earth is mine. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 14, and I've kept this in succession so you can just go one direction in your Bible with it. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The name means the second law. Much of the first giving of the law is repeated in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Look in verse 2. For thou art a, an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto Himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. And then it goes into some particulars of their behavior because of who they were. Their identity was to affect their behavior. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Look in verse 18. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be His peculiar people, as He hath promised thee that thou shouldest keep all His commandments. I show you one out of the Psalm, Psalm 135. Psalm 135. I want you to see the context of this. It would be after Nehemiah, wouldn't it? Psalm 135. Trouble with the Bible, I just can't read the numbers in order. 135, verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. God said, You want to know what I treasure? I treasure my people. Can we go to the New Testament? Just a couple of verses. How about Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And look please, if you will, in verse 14. Well, let's begin verse 13. I don't want to leave that off. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Then the command is, these things speak, like I'm doing right now, and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. There's never to be any back, uh, backing down. There's not to be any equivocation in this type of teaching. First Peter chapter 2 will be the last one I'll show you. I hope you're getting the feel for this. The, the identification... Of freedom. The Israelites kept living like they were Egyptians. The biblical term is that once and again they turned back in their hearts to Egypt. They kept going back, but they were not Egyptians. They were never Egyptians. They're from a different heritage. First Peter chapter two. <laughs> Look in verse 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained it. Isn't that amazing? And then warns us to 
avoid those fleshly lusts of war against the soul. The identity of freedom. A slave nation. God went into a nation and pulled the nation from out of that nation. They were non-Egyptians. Why? Because they went back to a singular lineage. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of who their forefathers were, they were not and could not be Egyptians. And when they acted like Egyptians, whether it be begging the molten calf and worshiping that when Moses was up on the mountain, or whether it be complaining like they did, or whether it be uh, uh, some of the lewd practices that, that would come forth from them, when they acted like Egyptians, they were not acting like what their birth was. They were the, they were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God takes His people and He seeks you to be a, a peculiar nation and He wants to pull you out of the wickedness of the world around you. Why? Because your births differ. And we who were not a people, we were not a people. <laughs> what are some of your backgrounds? I've got Irish and German in mind. Um, give me some of your backgrounds. What are they? Pardon? Speak again. Indian. Indian, all right. Do you know which tribe? Cherokee, all right. Did you have your hand? German, Dutch, and Indian? Huh? Cuban and Russian. What Russian? Cuban. Are you really? Wow, that's awesome. I didn't know that. Cuban and Russian. Who else? Pardon? Scottish and German. Scottish and German. I have some Scottish in me. They also, what else? Irish, German, English, and uh, some Shawnee Indian. Really? Wow. You're a big Indian. Yeah. <laughs> need to heap big pony. Uh, what, what else? Who else? Anybody know some of your background? What is it? German, Irish, also Native American. Okay. He's more pure. He's a Native American. The rest of y'all are just Indians. I love it. Any others? What else are you? But you know what we are in common? Children of God. Who were the chosen people of God in the Bible? Jews. I don't teach a covenant theology like some of the stuff's taught or replacement theology. But I'm going to tell you this. Right now, the, uh, uh, we are spiritual Israel. We are, we are separated unto God. We weren't that. What are you talking about? We, <laughs> we're a mixed up group. You're Filipino. Yep, mom and dad were both Filipino. Does that for, does that go back on both sides all the way, Filipino? Yeah. All right, as far as far as y'all know, back good way. Mom and dad were both Filipinos. All right. Any others? Got any other foreigners among us? Amen. I know the one country wasn't mentioned. Texas. We have one person from there. <laughs> They're right, brother. <laughs> He's like. <laughs> uh, but now are we the people of God and God when, when, you, when you get a hold of that identity it starts making a difference what you are it starts making a difference in how you behave I'm a child of God I belong to the Lord it, it just it changes how you go about things and it gets you out of slavery. Someone says, oh, it doesn't matter what burden they try to put on you. I belong to the Lord. I belong to the Lord. I'm a free man no matter what anybody does with me. I'm a free man no matter what anybody does with me. And some who have given their lives have been captured, tortured, and died for their faith in Christ you read such books as Fox's Book of Martyrs or The Martyr's Mirror, 
you find accounts of men and women who died deaths that any of us would shudder to think about having to, to face and yet did it with bravery, singing, praising God, testifying. People who prior to those events would have never dreamed that they could have ever done that. People who didn't want to go through hurt and pain and more than anybody else. They were the people of God. It became evident when the pressure was put on them. There was a point where they just said, we won't deny our God. Whatever that costs, that costs. But we're going to be free. Why? Because God's made us free. And one of the most infuriating things to any who were bringing, whether it be in uh, older times or in the modern times of, of martyrs and persecutions, because that goes on right now today, one thing that's infuriating to those who try to snuff out true belief in Christ is the strong and powerful testimony of those who, though their bodies are put through unimaginable things, they themselves are not broken. They themselves stand strong. And they very calmly and very clearly say, Jesus Christ is my Savior. That's going to cost you everything. He's my Savior. Do you ever wonder if you'd stand like that? I do. I've never faced that. I've never faced it. I hope I'd be faithful to the Lord if pushed into that extremity. Um, but I do know He gives grace for the time of trial when it comes. Identity of freedom. Do you, do you understand that identity? You understand it. You can overcome some strongholds in your life. I'm not a slave. Well, no, 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 no. I'm not a slave. My wife heard me say over and again, we're being trying to be forced to behave in certain ways that I wouldn't go along with. I said to her, I will not play the game. I'll do it. Why? I'm free. When you know truth, you stay free. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your people tonight. God, what a privilege it is to open the Word of God, to learn from it. Thank you for uh, redirecting my approach into this. That the Bible may be preached instead of just preached about. Pray you'll help us to be a people who identify our freedom as it is in you. And God, may we never misuse the freedom. I don't want to. I don't want to misuse or do despite the grace you've extended. Pray you'll guide us. Bless your people. May serious, heartfelt decisions be made just to follow truth. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together, please. We have a song invitation to come tonight.